We are continuing on our series called Seek and You Will Find. Today, we're going to try to put together finding your people. So let's start with some basic principles, three steps I'm going to give you to finding your people. And I believe this would be true if you're trying to fit in on a sports team or at work or in the body of Christ. They're basically very general principles, but I believe they're biblical principles as well. So let's go ahead and look at that. So step one to finding your people is simply this, belong. And I mean that as a verb, you know, not as a description, I belong, but I am belonging. You know, I'm trying to belong. Go ahead and belong. Go ahead and do that. So what I mean by that is believe that you belong and then go ahead and actually belong. Go ahead and and actively participate in the belonging process. It's very important to do that. When I first became a Christian, you know, I was raised outside of Christian circles. And I would even say, you know, I was not taught to value things of faith and people of faith. And so when I came to believe in the things of faith and become a person of faith, an interesting consequence of that was I didn't trust fellow believers. It was just an awkward time. And I wasn't sure what to do with that. I was very much out of my element. I didn't talk right. I didn't act right. I didn't dress right. I didn't know what was going on. I mean, they all had this insider language that I didn't understand. And it was very confusing. And I was sure that I didn't belong. You know, I looked at the Christians. I'm like, I'm not one of them. I mean, I'm a normal person that believes in Jesus. You know what I mean? I'm a normal person that's given their life to the God who loves them. You know, that's, that's me. I'm just a normal person that's trying to follow Jesus. I don't know if I'm a Christian. You know, <laughs> That was back then. Obviously, the Christians are the ones who are following Jesus. But I looked at the Christian community, the Christian world, and I thought, man, I don't know if I fit into that. But then I read something in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 15 and 16, and then I'm also going to read verse 27. So 1 Corinthians 12, this is talking about spiritual gifts and the body of Christ. And it says this about the body. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And I thought, okay, so if the foot says I'm not a hand, so I don't belong, it still belongs. If the ear says I'm not an eye, so I must not belong, it still belongs. And then verse 27, now you are the body of Christ. So that's the plural you, now you, now all y'all are the body of Christ. And each one of you, of course, the singular there, Each one of you is a part of it. So you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So each one is part of the body. And just because you don't feel like you belong, because you don't look the same as other people, because you're not the same, you're different, that doesn't mean you don't belong. And I thought, well, the Bible says I belong. I don't feel like I belong because I don't fit in very well, but maybe I do. And so I rejected my feelings of not belonging and just went ahead and did the Bible. I thought I didn't belong, looked at the Bible. Bible says I do because I love Jesus. And so I just went ahead and and rejected that thought that I don't belong because I didn't fit in very well. I thought, well, I must must belong. Uh, Bible says so. I'm going to go do that. I put some faith on it. 
and then I believed that I belonged, and then that helped me to belong. You know, if you believe you don't belong, it's really hard to fit in. It's really hard to belong. So let me give you three steps to belonging, three parts of this. So here's how you belong. Super, super simple. Show up. (laughs) That's step one to belonging. You got to show up. Sitting at home wanting to belong isn't going to get the job done. Show up. However you connect, show up. Next one, be cooperative, be friendly, engage, be cooperative. And then the third part to belonging is do your part well whatever it is that you're wanting to belong to. You know, let's say that it is a sports team. You want to belong on the sports team. Well, it's hard to belong on the team when you bring everybody else down. You know, you do your part well. And you don't have to be the best on the team in order to do your part well. I was in cross country in college. I ran cross country in college. I did not run cross country in high school. And I was the worst member of the team I made the team, but I was the lowest on the list of people who made the team. You know, I got my letter, it all worked out great, but I was the worst one on the team. Now, that doesn't mean that I didn't belong. I did belong. I didn't expect to be the best on the team, but I did my part to help. You know, I I scored some team points. I ran as hard as I could. I trained. I did my part. So even if you're not the best, you can still belong and do your part well. So go ahead and actively belong. Believe you belong there. Show up, be cooperative, do your part well. That's all part of that first step in finding your people is belong. The second one in finding your people is include. Include others. Probably the most underappreciated skill in finding your people is including others. It's so important to include other people. I've seen this be the flaw that sabotaged people's ministry lives. Like they just couldn't include other people. Maybe they were insecure or maybe they were self-absorbed, but whatever it is, something prevented them from feeling comfortable including others and growing the team. They just couldn't include people. They just ended up on their own all the time. So they weren't very good at including others. And it's, I've seen that literally, I've seen that sabotage people's ministries. So you got to get good at including others. Let me give you three simple parts to including others. Part A, let people in. Let people in the group. You can invite people in, let them be part of it. And then also let them, let them into your heart too. You know, actually care about people. Invite them into the group and invite them into your heart. Pay attention to who they are and care. So let people in. Part B, let people help. Again, you're doing a sports team or something. If you're always on the bench and you're never participating in any way, it's going to be hard to feel like you fit in. So let people help. And then the next level of this, part C, is let people lead. Don't get in the way of them reaching their full potential. So, you know, if you're including somebody in something that you're doing and then you let them help and you find out they're actually better at it than you are, and you try to squash them, that's not going to work out good for you. It's not going to work out good for them. It's just going to be a mess. But if you elevate them, then they love you. 
You get to be part of seeing somebody succeed. It's just, it's fantastic. So you want to include people. You want to let them in, into the group, into your heart. You want to let them help and you want to let them lead, bring them to their full potential. That's a very, very important part of finding your people is including others. Don't just, you try to belong to something else. You try to get other people to belong as well. It's very important. So belong, include, and then step three, stay. Very important. You can't get very far if you don't stay for very long. So if you want to belong to a group, you want to make a significant impact in some way, uh, you want to find your people, you got to stay. You can't get very far if you don't stay very long. Uh, Now, there are times to move on. You know, we're talking about church, you know, talking about finding your people, the body of Christ, fellow believers in Jesus, your church family, that sort of a thing. There are times to move on, like when it's time for you to advance. You know, God's called you on to bigger and better things. God's called you on to a different thing and a new season. That's fine. There are times also when you need to extricate yourself from a harmful and dysfunctional situation. That's fine to move on, but don't just quit. You should be able to tell the difference between God advancing you into something new, you extricating yourself from a dysfunctional and harmful environment, and you just not having any inner strength and just quitting on something. You know, you should be able to tell the difference between those. So don't just quit, but make sure that you can tell the difference because you absolutely can lie to yourself and blame other people when it's actually you. Be honest with yourself about that. Don't just quit. One of the big things about finding your people is having history together. That's why you got to stay. You got to spend time. You got to have some history together. For that to happen, you've got to work through some stuff, you know, especially in the church world. And I've noticed that some people have a shelf life. You can tell they're just not going to stay very long. They're not long-term types of people. They just aren't going to last. Classic example would be people who come to church mad at their previous church. You know, when, when somebody comes here mad at their previous church, it's not going to be too long before they're mad at us. It's not going to be too long before they're mad at me. It's not going to be too long before they're disillusioned with Good Hope Church. That only lasts for a little while. You know, that's because wherever you go, there you are. And if you aren't able to go through the relationship cycles, you know, because there's the, there's the honeymoon phase at work, at school, you know, with your friend group. Obviously, when you get married, you got the honeymoon phase, you know, things are going great, all kinds of new fun stuff. But the honeymoon phase doesn't last. And some people aren't able to do life with, you know, well, we got to do our taxes and do the dishes and, you know, figure out a budget. They're not able to do the harder parts of life that aren't as much fun. So then they drop off and they go back to the honeymoon phase and they just want to redo honeymoon phases in a bunch of different locations. And people can do that with relationships. They can do that with churches. They can do that with jobs. They can do that with all kinds of different things. Don't just go for the honeymoon phase. Try to learn how to be the sort of person that can function through the difficulties and get to the other side of those hardships. Because on the other side, if you last, you'll have greater connection, you'll have greater influence, and it'll be a greater blessing for you and for others as well. If you're just hopping around all the time, you're not going to find your people. You got to stay. So three simple steps to finding your people belong. Go ahead and believe that you belong. Show up like you belong. Stick with it. Include others. Include people. Bring other people in. 
Probably the most underrated important part about finding your people is actually including other people uh, and then stay. Make the long-term commitment. You can't get very far if you don't stay very long. So I want to look at the Apostle Paul, somebody that I just admire through the scriptures. Paul was a very complex person and he, he was fiercely devoted to Jesus. And uh, he did not start off as a believer, so there's some things that I feel like a little bit of a kinship with Paul the Apostle. But let's go through the book of Acts chapter 9. We're going to read a pretty good chunk, 1 through 31. We'll work our way through. And let's just look at Paul and how he found his people. He was on the outside. He was not a believer. He did not belong. And then he got on the inside someone who belonged very significantly. So let's look at this. Acts 9, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So this Saul is the Apostle Paul. You know how people get renamed a lot of times uh, in the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. It's kind of an interesting theme that goes throughout the whole Bible. You got Abram to Abraham. You got Jacob to Israel, uh, Simon to Peter. You got all these name changes. And Saul here will become Paul the Apostle. But in this section, he's going to be called Saul. So he's breathing out murderous threats. He's going to take people as prisoners. So Saul was not Christian friendly. And when you see in here the way, he's trying to find people who belong to the way. That's Christianity, the way of the Lord, the way of Jesus, you know, the way of God, the way. So he's going to take them to prison. Let's see what happens. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. So Jesus miraculously intervenes in Paul's life. Paul is chosen by God for a purpose. He wasn't, you know, like, well, I don't know if I should follow Jesus. And then one day he's like, yeah, I think I will. He has this experience of this light and Jesus appears and it's just amazing. So Jesus miraculously intervenes in his life. And this was a traumatic experience. Let's keep reading. Saul got up from the ground, verse eight, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So this is a harsh situation. He realizes that Jesus is not just a heretic, lunatic fool that led a bunch of people into error, but that Jesus is Lord. He, he has risen from the dead. So he's, he's realizing that he's completely wrong and he's been blinded, and he's so distraught, he doesn't eat or drink anything for three days. So this was a very traumatic experience for Saul, but God sends someone to help him. Verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. 
the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. How bad would Saul have had to been for Ananias to argue with an open vision from God? You know, like God is talking to him. I don't know if he saw him, but he definitely heard him like out loud. So Saul was a bad guy. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And that was sufficient for Ananias to be able to say, okay, 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 I'll go. So he goes, I don't know if it was the direct aggressive command from the Lord, go, (laughs) this is my chosen instrument. Or if it had to do with the suffering, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I don't know if that was something Ananias was like, okay, I'll get on board with that. Not really sure. But for whatever reason, God told Ananias that. So then Ananias goes and he prays for Saul. So here we go. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, and don't let that get past you. He calls him brother. Again, in Bible context, brother means, you know, we have a spiritual connection. We're followers of God together. We're connected in the family of God. And I believe that's what he meant by this. Brother Saul, it's amazing. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So Ananias goes and prays for Saul that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that he would be healed and the scale-like things fall off of his eyes. He's able to see, and then he's encouraged. He eats some food. He starts to regain his strength. And what does Saul do then? Continuing in verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So he has changed his tune rather dramatically. Instead of dragging away any of those who belong to the way to prison. Now he is preaching for Jesus. He is saying that Jesus is the son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So Paul had a lot of knowledge as a Pharisee. He was well-trained, well-educated. And so he was able to, you know, say, go into the book of Isaiah. And he was able to prove that Jesus is the Messiah through the the Jewish scriptures and baffled people. You know, it was an amazing thing. Then uh, let's keep going. Verse 23. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. 
Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So Paul was going to be killed. They were plotting to kill him, but he had some friends lowering him in a basket at night so he can run away. He goes then from Damascus back to Jerusalem. Verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. So, (laughs) you know, they're like, yeah, okay, he's a spy. He just wants to find out who the, the big movers and shakers are, and he wants to take the big wigs of the way, the, the apostles, the followers of Christ that are leaders, he wants to take them out. So they didn't believe that he was actually a disciple of Jesus. So what happens here? Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So Barnabas steps up to testify that, hey, Saul has changed. God has touched him. He's, he's turned over a new leaf. He's a different person now. The old is gone. The new has come. He's a new creation in Christ. Uh, let's let him in. And this testimony from Barnabas convinces the rest and he is brought in to the group and he continues to preach. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, that is the Jewish people who had adopted Greek language and culture. So uh, he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So the church increases in numbers and they have a time of peace because Saul has been converted. <laughs> so if, if one person coming to Christ changes the culture from persecuting Christians to a time of peace, you know that Saul was having a very negative impact on the church. It was a rough deal. Two times in there, people were plotting to kill him, but his new friends helped him out. Did you notice that in there? He was uh, quite the uh, aggressive guy. So I just think this is amazing. The story of Paul the Apostle getting saved, vision from the Lord, and then immediately he goes into preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. And he has proven it from the scriptures and he's just getting uh, aggressive. So let's look at this story of Saul's conversion, the conversion of Saul into Paul, who will become Paul the Apostle. First of all, he belonged. He didn't run away. He wasn't half-hearted. He fully joined the followers of the way. He stood up for what they believed in. He believed in himself. You know, he, he belonged. And even when other people didn't believe, verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. So He's had a vision from God. He's been healed. He's been redeemed. He gets it. He understands what's going on. He goes to join up with the disciples and they reject him thinking that he's an imposter and a liar. 
He didn't just go, oh, they don't like me and leave. He kept at it. Barnabas helped him out. He aggressively belonged. Paul, with some help, pushed his way in. Sometimes you got to push your way in. If you're going to find your people, you know, you don't have to just wait. You got to push your way in sometimes. Paul here pushed his way in and God helped him. Ananias came and helped him. Barnabas came and helped him, which is step two. You know, Paul was included. So Paul aggressively belonged, but Paul was also included. Both Ananias and Barnabas went out on a limb for Paul and they let him in. They let him help and they let him lead. He's preaching and it's in this section here, but his followers took him by night. Verse 25 of chapter nine, Paul already has followers in verse 25, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through the wall. So Paul is already leading. You know, Saul becomes Paul. He's already leading. They let him in. They let him help. They let him lead. So Paul was included. Barnabas and Ananias helped him out. Paul believed to belong, but also he was included and allowed to do what God called him to do. And then Paul stayed. Paul did stay. So remember our three steps from the beginning, belong, include, and stay. Paul belonged. He believed to belong. He pushed his way in to belong. Uh, He was included. Other people included him in. Paul, of course, included others as well. He was a huge recruiter, huge includer. But then Paul also stayed. If you know the, the New Testament, you know the life of Paul, there were conflicts and hardships for Paul. Lots of hardships and a good number of conflicts. He was not afraid of conflict, but he didn't quit. He had conflicts. He had many hardships. We already see here twice people are trying to kill him, you know, right after he got saved because now he's preaching Jesus as the son of God and people want to kill him, but he didn't quit. And he had a tremendous influence because he stayed, because he didn't get discouraged when people thought he wasn't really a believer. He didn't get discouraged when he went through hardships. He didn't get discouraged when there was conflict. Instead, he stayed. He continued through. He didn't give up. And he had a tremendous influence because of God's plan for his life, but that he stayed. He wouldn't have been able to have an influence if he hadn't stayed. Because as we said here, you can't get very far if you don't stay very long. But Paul stayed. And then this is the influence Paul had. This Saul breathing out murderous threats that Jesus appears to. Then he starts preaching the Lord. Lord Jesus is the son of God. This is the influence he had. Paul wrote Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, and maybe Hebrews. You know, we don't know the author of Hebrews, but I tell you what, that's not too bad as far as influence is concerned, huh? Like, wow, he belonged, he was included, and he included others, and then he stayed, and he had incredible influence. Now, as we finish up here, I want to just talk about something I say whenever I do weddings or I do marriage counseling. I talk about the, the marriage paradox. And so I'll say to the groom, hey, you know, you're going to have to give more than you take, right? And he'll say, yeah. And I'll say to the bride, and you know, you're going to have to give more than you take as well. Because of course, marriage isn't 50-50 because it leaks 50 plus 50 adds up to about 30. It's 100-100. If a marriage is going to work, 
Each one has to put in 100%. Each one has to give more than they take. It's not 50-50, it's 100-100. And the marriage paradox that I like to call it is that if they both give, if the husband and the wife both give more than they take, they'll both get more out of the marriage than they put in. So it's a paradox. And I believe church is the same way. When it comes to being part of the church, part of the body of Christ, finding your people, the fellow believers in Jesus, you know, it's more work than it seems like it's worth. You have to give more than you take. But if you can put yourself in an environment among a bunch of believers that are all giving more than they take, then you're going to be part of something that is so wonderful that it's more than you could possibly give. Uh, what an incredible blessing it is to be part of a group like that. Now, I want to close with Acts chapter 20, verse 36. But now we're going to the end of Paul's life. I don't know how many years this is, but a couple decades maybe from when Paul is first saved on the road to Damascus to now he's heading into Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested and he'll eventually get shipped to Rome uh, where he'll be executed. So it's going to be a few more years yet before he dies because that was kind of a long process. But He's saying goodbye to the elders in Ephesus. So he had spent about two and a half years in Ephesus and built some real strong connections. And when we're talking about finding our people, let's see if this hits because the description of their goodbye is very strong. So let's look at this. Paul has been talking to him about he's going to Jerusalem and he's not going to see him again. And, and, you know, this is goodbye, goodbye. And these are his deep brothers in the Lord, very, very close friends. Verse 36 of Acts 20. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patera. So Luke is describing they've left, but I mean, they're embracing and just are weeping because their relationship is never going to be the same. They're not going to see each other again. And Luke says, after we had torn ourselves away from them in chapter 21, verse 1, so we see this incredibly deep connection between Paul and the elders in Ephesus. Just a powerful connection. Man, wouldn't it be great to have that? Where you have that deep, heartfelt connection. Paul wasn't just a great man of faith. He was someone who found his people. And let's believe for that, for the same thing for, for you and me. To have brothers and sisters in Christ that, you know, when we part, it breaks our heart because we, we have such a deep respect and love and camaraderie and we've shared so many important things together. Let's just believe God for that. So let's pray. We'll close up with a prayer along those lines. Heavenly Father, thank you for your scriptures and for the examples that are given there. And Father, we see Paul, a great man of faith who fiercely believed in you, fiercely defended the truth, but also someone who built really, really strong relationships with people. And we see that very obviously as he uh, says goodbye to the elders there in Ephesus. And so, Father, we thank you for that example. 
And Lord, we know that is your, your will, that we would be united, that we would love one another, that we would have a, a deep bond and connection, that we would find our people. And so Lord, for, for each one listening and for me as well, Lord, help us to find our people in that deep way have those connections, walk with our brothers and sisters in Christ in that glorious way. And Lord, let that be something that people see and understand your goodness through and want to grab hold of as well. So Lord, help us to grab hold of the good thing that is your family, the body of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.